Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. How's everybody doing this morning? If you're watching online, you're watching tonight. Hope you're doing well too. Before we dive into uh, what we're going to be talking about today, uh, in just about 21 days, and it's hard to believe that we're in August now. Uh, it feels like we're in August outside, but it's hard to believe just the, the summer's gone quick. And I know some of our students, I even just heard some are starting school next week and then the following week. And so, man, it has gone quick. But in 21 days, on August 21st, uh, we have probably what's maybe my favorite event that we do all year. Uh, and it's an event we call the One Event. Real original name. We're super creative here at City Walk. Uh, and, and it's an event that we do, and it's an event we do especially for people that volunteer here at City Walk. Here at City Walk, we call volunteers bridge builders because we feel like everyone, whether they're in the parking lot, the kids' ministry, the band, is building bridges to people connecting with Jesus. And so we dedicate one whole event to inspire, encourage, have a lot of fun, train, give a lot of free stuff to our bridge builders. And I want to encourage you, if you're a bridge builder, or if you're like, man, I've been, been coming a little bit and been kind of toying with the idea of joining a team, sign up for the one event. Uh, you can go right into the app and on, you click on Sunday, then the bulletin, and then you can sign up right there. Uh, it's going to be a really good day. And if you don't come for anything else but this, we're going to have Porky's Barbecue there. So that's going to be worth coming for. Uh, and then if you were following us on social media yesterday, we put out some new t-shirt designs. And so we're going to be giving those away to all our bridge builders. And so it's going to be a fun day and the content will be good too. But you'll get some free stuff. Uh, so make sure you sign up and uh, it's going to be a really good time. Uh, probably like... Uh, our family, and, and my wife kind of made fun of me about this last night. She said, I guess we're watching the Olympics again tonight. Because I, I, I said, hey, we have basically two weeks every four years to watch this. So our family every night is turning on NBC. And we're watching, even though we already know who won some of the things, we're going to watch the Olympics. And so we've been watching the Olympics. Maybe your family has too. Uh, and, and I don't know how, if you watch much of it, but I'm always drawn in to the stories of the athletes. And, and they do a good job telling the stories of the different athletes are, that are competing and kind of how they got to where they're at. And for them, the, the week or two of the Olympics is probably the biggest week by far of their life. It, it's a week that their family, probably since they were a little kid, has been talking about. It's a week that they've been working towards. It's a week they've been sacrificing for. And literally for some of them, they started training when they were in elementary or even in preschool. And now as, as young adults, they're competing for our country. And it's a really big week for them. And for some of them, and if you've been watching, you've seen this, for some of them, man, the week is going to go exactly how they dreamed it would. 
They're going to end the week by standing on a podium, and they're going to have a medal around their neck, and they're going to hear their national anthem, and man, it's going to end just like they dreamed of. But for some of them, it's not going to end exactly how they dreamed. It's not going to go exactly how they planned, and maybe they aren't going to end the week with standing on a podium, but for every single one of them, win or lose, the week of the Olympics, the two weeks that they'll be competing, is going to mark their life. Whether they win or lose, they will never forget what they went through in Tokyo as they competed for our country in the Olympics. And probably there's nobody here, maybe you will be in the future, but probably none of us have ever experienced that exact thing where we, man, we were competing for our country in the Olympics, but every single one of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or or somebody that's maybe even investigating faith, we all know what it's like to move into a really, really important season of our life, and, and we know how that affects us. If you try to remember, for some of you, try to remember the week or two before you got married. And that week leading up to your wedding and just, man, all the stuff that went on, man, that was a week that marked you. That's a week you'll probably never forget. That was an important week in your life. For some of you, it was the week of surgery. Man, there was an important surgery that you were going to have or that, that was coming up. And for you, man, that, that week or two right around that surgery was an important season in your life that has marked you forever. For me, I remember the week before my son Austin was born. Austin is our our oldest kid. And I remember, man, the week before he was born, I was a train wreck. I I ran red lights, ran stop signs. My brain was just fuzzy the whole week. I I remember the night before we went to the hospital. And and Lori, it was scheduled, so we kind of knew what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. But the night before, I couldn't sleep. I just remember sitting in our bedroom with my computer on the floor just working because it just, it marked me. That week was just a monumental week for me. And as we've been looking at the life of Jesus, just like we've had some big weeks in our life and some big seasons that marked us, Jesus had a week in his life that was the most important week on, in his ministry, really in his whole life. And, and Mark, if you've been with us watching online or you've been with us throughout the summer, you know we've been kind of walking through the book of Mark. And in the book of Mark, we've, we've seen Mark talk to us about Jesus' miracles. We've seen Mark talk to us about the teaching Jesus gave. We've, we've seen Mark tell us about how Jesus loved people that nobody else loved and that the religious system of the day had kind of rejected. We, we've seen all that. And all of that leads up to what will become the most important week of Jesus' life, a week that Mark tells us about in detail. And here's what's interesting about this week. The week that is most important in Jesus' life was ended way differently than the followers of Jesus thought it would end. Just like there's people at the Olympics that, man, they they are dreaming about how their week's going to end, and they have a picture of how this thing's going to go, and for some of them it does, for some of them it doesn't. Well, Jesus' followers, the ones that had been following him closely, they had a way that they thought this thing was going to go, and at the end of this very important week, all of them were surprised. All of them had to grapple with two really big questions 
after this week was over because the week did not go according to any of their plans. And here's the two big questions they had to grapple with. The first one is this, why am I following Jesus? But they had to grapple with, okay, this thing didn't turn out the way it was supposed to, so why am I really following this guy Jesus? And then the second question that they had to grapple with and really come face to face with was this question, what if Jesus' plan is different than mine? Like, like, obviously, this thing's not playing out exactly the way I thought. So what if Jesus has a different plan than I have? What am I going to do with that? And Mark, he, he picks up his account of Jesus' life as Jesus has just left Jericho, and he's entering Jerusalem kind of on the final lap of the race. He's starting the final lap. This is the biggest week of his ministry. And Mark tells us this in Mark chapter 11. It says this, when they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied up there on which no one has ever sat. And so, so Jesus, he's, he's entering Jerusalem. He's on the, the final lap. If you've been watching the Olympics, you know, man, that final lap, they speed up, they get more focused. Well, Jesus is on the final lap of his life, his ministry, his goals. And as he enters Jerusalem, and I think we have a, a map of kind of Jesus' ministry, and it's like you can read all of that really well because you have such great eyes. But bottom line, Jesus is, this is where Jerusalem is down here towards the bottom. And so you can see this is Israel where Jesus has done a lot of stuff. But at the end, kind of the final lap of Jesus' ministry, the, the biggest week of his life, he comes back to Jerusalem. And it's where the most important thing that he came to do, he's going to do. And so they get to Jerusalem. They, they're kind of moving their way, making their way back. And, and, and Jesus says to a couple disciples, one may have been Peter, said, hey, hey, guys, I want you to go into the next village. And when you go into the next village, there's going to be a colt. There's going to be a, a young donkey there. And, and here's what Jesus tells them. He says, he says, I want you to untie it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here right away. So go, man. You're going to find this donkey. When you find it, I want you to steal it, and I want you to bring it to me, but make sure they know we'll bring it right back. Not really. He wasn't going to steal it, but he, you know, that's, it seems kind of weird. You just walk into a city. Oh, there's somebody's pet. I'll take that with me. We'll take it, because it's for Jesus. And so he says, hey, if anybody asks, tell them the, the Lord wants it. And, and people in that time, they knew, okay, Jesus, okay, we can trust Jesus and he'll bring it back. So that's what, that's what happened. So, so it says they went and found a colt outside in the street. It happened exactly the way Jesus said. It was tied by the door and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, hey, what are you doing? Why, why are you taking our kid? Why are you taking our, our kid's pet? Why are you taking our colt? They answered them just as Jesus had said, so they let him go. They trusted Jesus. Okay, he'll get it back to us. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it, and many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. So you have Jesus he's coming in, man. He's coming into Jerusalem, and he tells this guy, hey, go get this colt. They do exactly what he says. It happens exactly the way he says. 
And then they bring him this, like, why does Jesus want a colt? All right, we'll go get the colt for him. So they bring it to Jesus, and then they, they put some clothes, kind of, they don't have a saddle, so they kind of put some clothes on it. And then what happens is, and this is what would happen when a king was entering a city. This is how it would play out. They, they put their clothes on the, the colt, Jesus sat on it, and then what they did is they lined the pathway with their coats and with these, these branches, these palm branches, so that Jesus, the colt, would kind of carry Jesus along. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. They, they, did, they got this colt, and now Jesus is walking with this colt, and he, there's these people just throwing their clothes out, and he's going down the, the trail. And, and it's just, if you grew up in church, you, you saw this on flannel graph, where somebody handed you a little palm branch on Easter Sunday, like, oh, this is the one that Jesus, yeah, just like this. But that's what happened. And, and here's what's real interesting is as he's going down the way and he's on this colt and he's kind of riding his way into town, the people, they start yelling. It says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That word Hosanna, it, it means save us now. It's a, it's a political term when like a king's coming into town. They're saying, hey, save us. You're, you're our king. You're the one that's going to do it. And so as Jesus is coming into town, his followers are like, yes, it's finally happening. Jesus is going to save us. He's going to pull Rome and, and the, the, the grip that Rome has on us. He's going to save us from that. And so, man, they're saying, Hosanna, save us. You're our leader. And, and here's what's real interesting. 500 years later, Zechariah told us this exact thing would happen in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. You can, you can follow along. It says this, this is 500 years before this happened. Zechariah said, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Let your king, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so, man, this thing is playing out exactly how the people literally 500 years earlier said it would play out. And these people are, man, they're so excited. Jesus is coming. Man, he's finally going to win the, the battle. This is good. See, the people, they, they wanted so badly to be liberated from Rome. And so, man, they lined the streets and thought, man, this is the guy. And, and they were kind of looking for like a varsity version of King David. Like King David, he was the man and and he was one of their heroes, and he ruled their land, and life was good when King David was ruler. And so now they're thinking, man, this guy's even better than King David. And they, that's kind of what they were looking for. And, and for some of them, they had been taught this since they were little kids. They had been taught about this, this Jesus coming, this Messiah. But here's the thing. Jesus had a better plan than these people had. See, a plan that would do much more than free them from Rome. His plan would free them from sin and death for eternity. And here's the sad thing. Here's the, I mean, this is so sad. 
A lot of the people that were yelling Hosanna, a lot of the people that were laying down their clothes and putting palm branches down on Sunday, when they figured out that the plan that Jesus had didn't line up with their plan, that next Friday they were the ones saying, crucify him, crucify him, all in a week. Because his followers had, uh, uh, some of them had a, a way they thought this thing would go, and they had a, a, a goal for Jesus, and they were kind of using Jesus for, for what they wanted. And when they figured out that it wasn't going to happen, they went from Hosanna, save us now, to crucify him all within just a few days. And the way things kind of played out, they were faced with those two big questions. Those questions I already introduced you to, the first one being, why am I following Jesus? Man, it's, it's pretty easy to follow Jesus on Sunday when he's, man, coming into the city and, Hosanna, save us now, this is the guy. Man, okay, I, I can get behind that. But as things started to play out that week and it didn't seem to go as planned and stuff wasn't starting to play out the way it seemed it should have played out, why am I following Jesus? And then that second question that they were faced with was this. Man, what if Jesus' plan is different than mine? Like, what am I going to do now that I begin to realize that his plan is not exactly the way I had it going? What am I going to do with it? There's a great theologian that some of you have heard of. His name is Garth Brooks. And Garth Brooks said it this way. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And Garth is not a theologian. You probably already know that, most of you. He's a country music singer. But, but, but you, you know this. There, there are some things you really wanted to happen that you're really glad didn't end up happening the way you, you, you wanted them to happen. There's that, that relationship you had in high school and that you prayed this was the one, and now you are thanking God that one wasn't the one. There, there's that job that you, you really wanted and you prayed and, oh, I think this is what God wants and God's plan. This has to be your plan because this looks like it's going to be good for me. And it didn't turn out the way you, you thought it would. And now you look back and think, man, I am so glad that thing didn't play out the way I wanted it to. And here's what's interesting about this situation. If this thing would have played out the way the people wanted it to, they would have been saved from Rome, but they would still be not saved, and they would be enslaved forever to their sin, and they would spend an eternity without God if they got what they wanted, if they got the plan that they had laid out. And so Jesus, he obviously had a better plan, and so after this, man, he's kind of into the city now. It's now late at night, and he, he takes some time to just go into the temple and he's kind of looking around the temple because this temple is the, the temple that, that, that they worshipped in. And you'll, you'll see later, I'll show you a map later where, I mean, this is a large temple that took up a lot of the city. This temple had become part of the problem. You look at a religious temple that, man, this thing is, is so beautiful, and man, this, this is so religious, and, and Jesus came to a spot in his ministry where the temple started to stand for everything he stood against, that the temple started to be a place where, where greed, where manipulation, where you gained favor built on your works and not by your relationship with God, and it became the very thing that Jesus came to die for. He died for 
the legalism that that temple represented in many cases. And so as Jesus, he's, he's looking at the temple, it's late at night, he goes back out of the city and he's, you know, sleeps that night. And then the very next day, he comes back into the city one more time and he comes into the city and he once again calls people to something better than legalism. He, he comes back in the city and he, he does some I mean, kind of radical things to call people to a relationship, not to works-based religion. And it's one of the reasons that people wanted to kill him at the end of the week for what he was about to do. It says this in verse 12. The next day when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. So seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. So Jesus had stayed outside the city and now he's coming back into the city and it's the morning. And so Jesus sees a fig tree. And the fig tree, man, it's got beautiful leaves. It's in bloom. It's like, okay, good. I'm, I'm kind of hungry, and I'm going to go and, and get something to eat. It'd be like you walking into a house, and you smelling like fresh-baked cookies. Like, like you walk in, and you know that smell. You, you walk in, and it's whether it's your grandma's house, your mom, your dad, whatever. You walk in, and it's like, oh, man, this, this is good. Or you walk, or you get home one night and you, you smell the grill. And, and you're like, oh man, there's something good's cooking on the grill out back. And so, man, you would automatically think, like, if you smell cookies or you smell the grill, that you're going to walk inside. It would be, you know, normal to think, I'm going to walk inside and find a plate of cookies. Yeah, that's why it smells like this. Or, man, I'm going to go into the backyard and I'm going to find my dad or my grandpa or somebody out there. And there's going to be some beautiful meat right on that grill. That's what you would expect if you smelled those things. And Jesus, he sees this, this tree that's in bloom. And, and so he goes to this tree expecting to have a little breakfast because, man, this tree's in bloom. And he gets there and he finds that there's no fruit. It says this, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They're like, is Jesus mad at a tree? He might have been a little bit, actually. He was a little hungry. He was a little hungry. He was a little hungry. He came come to this tree and he sees, man, it's it's in bloom and it should have some type of fruit on it. And now there's nothing there. And so he's like, okay, no one's ever gonna eat from this tree again. I'm cursing this tree. And his guys are looking around like, what, what did this tree ever do to you, Jesus? But but here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was the master teacher. And so what he was trying to do is he was trying to use this tree as an illustration of the religion and legalism of Israel. It was a religion that looked really good on the outside. And man, things looked, if you looked at it from afar, you think, man, they've got it all together. But then when you get really close, you realize there's no fruit and Jesus was using this as an illustration as he walks into the city and he says, man, this, this tree, it's, it's just like Israel. It it's, looks good on the outside and it does all the right things on the outside, but there's no fruit. And so he curses it. And then it says this, and this is where it gets a little crazy. You're like, Jesus, okay. It says this in verse 15. They came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And so let me throw this other map up again. That you won't be able to read good, but you'll be able to see. So this whole area is Jerusalem. And this kind of red area 
is the temple. So you can see, like, the temple's pretty big compared to the whole city. Like, this is a pretty big temple. And there were certain parts of this temple. There was a part that only women could go to. There was a part that only Gentiles, Gentiles weren't allowed to go in where the Jews were. So they had a court for the Gentiles. And so this is a pretty big place. And so Jesus, he's, he's walking in, he's kind of hangry, he hasn't gotten to eat breakfast, and he comes in, and, and, and he sees something that just makes his heart cringe, and it says this, it says, they came to Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of money changers, and the chairs of those selling doves, and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. So Jesus comes into the temple, and he sees that these, there's, there's merchants there that are, are there. Some of them are there for the right reasons, and they're there to do good things, but they've taken this little good thing, and they've, they've, they've basically begun to extort people, and they've begun to hold people back from worshiping God, and it's, it's become real greed and manipulation, and Jesus is fed up. And so he comes in, and he starts just if, if when we get to heaven i'm like can I, I want to watch this one on like whatever netflix in heaven or whatever like this thing really play out he just starts turning over the tables the, these people that are there and they're there to manipulate and they're there to be greedy and they're there to pull people away from worshiping god he, he can't he's just not having it anymore and he just starts flipping over tables and then he sees that people are starting to just, instead of using the temple for what it's for, they're using it as like a shortcut through the city to carry their stuff. And he's like, no, 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 you're not doing that anymore either. I don't know if you've ever been a spot where somebody was so angry that they started turning over tables, but that would get your attention. I remember as a little kid, the night before Thanksgiving, my dad had had, to, he worked in the grocery business and he had had to work really, really late. And so we, I think we only had one car at that point. So we went and picked him up. And it was now probably one, two in the morning. And so we had three boys, mom, dad. And dad's like, let's go to a little diner and let's have pancakes. Let's just do something like that. So again, three boys, we're always for eating. So we, we're all for it. So we went to this little place called Wags. And Wags was a diner. Actually, Walgreens owned this little company, and, and they had like 90 little restaurants, kind of like Denny's. And so we went to Wags, and we're ordering our food. And I hear my mom, there's starting to be a crowd at line. And it's like two in the morning. I hear my mom say to my dad, Hey, Dave, we, we may have to leave. And again, I, I have no clue like what, what's going on. I'm just excited about what I'm going to eat. And, and all of a sudden, two dudes like, five feet away from us just start rolling around on the floor and fighting and all of a sudden our table gets turned over and and my dad jumps up and, and quickly there was other people there that stopped it but I remember man that I was probably seven eight years old that marked me I was like what in the heck is going on we're trying to eat a pancake and these guys are like turning our table over it was crazy and I can't imagine if if you know somebody came in church and just hey the coffee table you know what Let's throw that on the ground, offering table. I mean, just, you just, that would catch your attention. And that's what Jesus did. He, he I man, turned over these tables and he was not having what was, I mean, it was bothering him that these people were taking the worship of God and, and specifically they were doing it in the court of the Gentiles where outsiders would come to worship God and they were making this thing what it wasn't supposed to be. And he was done with it. And so he turned over these tables, and it says this in verse 17, he was teaching them 
Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, Gentiles, women, men, different races. He, he, was, he wanted people to be able to worship. And he says, but you have made it a den of thieves. And who he was talking about when he said you was the religious people. You, you, you people that are in charge of this temple, you people that should be the ones doing the right thing, you guys have taken this thing and, and you're making outsiders feel uncomfortable. You guys are, are taking the worship of God and you're making it different than that. And you're, you're being manipulative and you're being greedy and it's, we're not having this anymore. And so Jesus was putting himself at them. Like he was basically saying to them, you are not in charge anymore. We're not doing it this way anymore. And so you can imagine that was not super popular. And it says this in verse 18. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him. And then it goes on. It says, because the whole crowd was astonished. They were overwhelmed. They were blown away by his teaching, that someone would be so bold to go against the religious system, somebody would be so bold to teach the way they had heard Jesus teach for the last few years, somebody would be so bold to love people that the religious system had written off. I mean, people were, were all into what Jesus was doing, and so the religious leaders were afraid because, again, they were all about popularity and looking good on the outside, and so if they made the wrong move... They were going to get a lot of people upset with them. And so they wanted to kill him, but they were afraid of him. And it says this, after this is kind of over, and just imagine being one of his disciples. Like, what happened, Jesus? I mean, you're, you've seen Jesus feed the 5,000. You've seen him do a lot of things. But man, this one went to another level. And it says this in verse 19. Whenever evening came... They would go out of the city early in the morning. As they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And listen to Jesus' reply. It seems out of place, but it's right, it's his goal. Jesus replied to him, have faith in God. Peter's like, oh, oh yeah, Jesus, I forgot, but there's that tree. Yeah, that one you, you kind of were upset at? Man, it's, it's, not, it, it's withered now. It's all the way down to the roots. Man, that thing is gone. And instead of Jesus trying to, oh, let me explain that to you, he just says, hey, guys, have faith in God. Trust in God. Because remember what that represented? That represented a system that was all based on, on outward appearance. It was all based on, on works. It wasn't based on trusting God and obeying God. It was just all based on what everyone else thinks, thought. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. The opposite of that is faith and trust in God. So Peter, have trust in God. So put yourself in this scene. You, you've just seen Jesus like take it to some people in the temple. He, he's fed up with them holding people back from being able to worship God. He's fed up with them making outsiders feel unwelcomed. He's just fed up with it. And so you're standing with Jesus. You're actually standing with Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And not far in the distance, you see a huge body of water. It's the Dead Sea. And then just off to the side or not far away from you, you see this tree. 
that Jesus just yesterday had cursed, and now it's shriveled up and it's dead. And so imagine just the scene. Put yourself in the scene. Because what Jesus says next, he uses the scene to make his point. Jesus says this. He says, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea. This mountain we're standing on, Mount of Olives, the Dead Sea's right there. If anybody says to this mountain, get up, I'm throwing you into the sea. So they, they knew what mountain he was talking about. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. See, moving a mountain was a metaphor in, in, in kind of Jewish literature for doing the impossible. And, and what Jesus was saying is those who believe in God can have confidence that he will accomplish even the impossible according to his will in their life. And, and he goes on and he says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And, God is, he's making this point that God is always ready to respond to the prayers of his followers. There's no situation or difficulty that's impossible for him. And so he's, he's making these two, like, like they see both of these scenes, he, this scene of this tree that just represents this Israel and, and works and all that stuff. And then he says, then there's this other way where, where you can literally see God do the impossible. And he uses the tree and he uses the mountain and the sea to illustrate it. And it says this in verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Literally a few days from the cross. Jesus is probably four days from going to the cross. And, and he, four days from going to the cross, he gives his followers, his closest followers, a clear picture of two paths. He, he gives them a, a picture of Israel's way, of the, the religion that is empty, proud, unforgiving, and honestly powerless. And he, he's just used this tree that has no fruit kind of to illustrate that visually. And he's like, there, there, there's a way there. Yeah, it's, it's the way of re the religion in Israel. It's the way of, of the Jewish religious leaders. It's very empty. It's very proud. It's very unforgiving. It's, it's powerless. But then he says, there's also another way. It's a way that I'm, I'm proposing. It's a relationship that is characterized by trust. It's a relationship characterized by forgiveness. It's a relationship that has power that you cannot imagine. It's a relationship that brings hope. See, for Jesus' followers, in four days, everything would change. Their leader would be killed by the Romans, and he wouldn't defeat the Romans. And so as Jesus is just a few days before that takes place, his followers, just like honestly we are, are faced with those two questions we talked about earlier. The first one is this. Why am I following Jesus? 
So, so Peter, Matthew, these guys that were right there with them that had seen all this take place here in just three or four or five days, they were going to have to make a decision like, this thing didn't play out the way I thought it was. Like the, my motivation for following Jesus might not even be a motivation anymore. So why am I really following Jesus? And that question that would be very applicable to them 2,000 years ago is just as applicable to us right now. Like, why am I following Jesus? For, for some in this society, like in our society today, it's, it's, man, what he does for me. It's almost like a cost-benefit, you, you look at the cost and benefit analysis where you're like, hey, this is what it costs me to follow Jesus, but uh, here's the benefits I get out of following Jesus. And so it, it's a cost versus benefit analysis, and you've kind of decided, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus because I think it benefits me more than it costs me. Like, is that why you follow Jesus? Is that why these disciples were following Jesus? Because, man, this is, hey, Jesus is going to win, and he's going to defeat Rome, and I'm going to get a spot in his cabinet, and this is going to go well. Why are you following Jesus? Why am I following Jesus? Is it because of what he does for me? Or is it about who he is, whether he does anything or not? And then the second question that they had to deal with is the same one that you've probably had to deal with this in the last month in some area of your life. What if Jesus' plan is different than mine? What if the way I think it should play out with my kids, it doesn't play out that way? What if the way I, I think it should play out with my job or with, and you fill in the blank, with my finances or with this relationship, what if, what if it doesn't play out exactly the way I think is best and Jesus has a different plan? What do we do with that? And really, it comes down to a third question that they had to deal with and we have to deal with is the simple question is this, will you trust him? If the plan doesn't play out the way we thought it would, do we abandon it? Abandon Jesus and that didn't work? I'm going to go my own way? Or do we just say, you know what? Your way's better. And Jesus, you know what? I can't see the big perspective. And you know what, man? As much as I want Rome to, to no longer be in control and I, I want to be out from under the, 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 the enemy Rome, maybe Jesus, maybe you have a much bigger picture that's actually going to save the world from sin and death for eternity. And man, I never want to counterfeit my, my little plan and my little knowledge that I have in my brain that isn't very, you know, nothing compared to yours, but why would I ever take my plan and try to go up against your plan, a much better plan? Maybe you're here and you're someone that's not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and you, you, you haven't seen, uh, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe it's because you've, you've seen some hypocrisy by the church and you've seen, maybe you've been hurt by some people that called themselves followers of Jesus. And so you've kind of just lumped Jesus in with all of the people that say they're his followers that aren't good examples of him. And so maybe you've written off the church. Maybe you've written off faith. Maybe you've written off all those things. And I get it. If you have, I get it. If all that's happened to you, I get it. 
And maybe if you're honest, you would say, hey, Chris, I've kind of written off the, the, the God thing and the Jesus thing and the faith thing, and I've kind of become the king of my world. I kind of do things the way I want to do them. I kind of do them according to my plan. I'm in charge. My way is best. How's that working? And I'm not being sarcastic. I'm just being honest. Like, how, how's that working out for you? And here's my question for you. Maybe you're, you're someone that's not a follower of Jesus, and, and, and you would say, that's, yeah, Chris, that's kind of the way it's been playing out for me. Here's my question for you. Would you be willing to at least question your assumption? Would you be willing to at least question the assumption that your plan is best? Would you be willing to at least question the assumption that maybe God has something better for you? I didn't say easier. I said better. Because when you become a follower of Jesus, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but I promise you, you won't regret it. And so the question is, if you're someone that's watching online or you're here and you're saying, you know what, I I just haven't at this point in my life, I haven't stepped over that line of faith, haven't started a relationship with Jesus, kind of been the king of my own world and eh, it works out okay sometimes, sometimes if I'm honest, it doesn't work out great. Would you at least be willing to question that maybe God has a better plan and his plan always starts with a relationship. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here and you'd say, Chris, I've never started a relationship with Jesus. Well, you don't need me to do that. You can do that right where you're at. You can, just in the quietness of your heart, you can watch it online. You can be on your front porch watching this and, and just kind of talk to God and just admit to God, God, I, I, I've disobeyed you. I've kind of done things my own way. I've, I've, I've sinned is what the Bible calls it. You can admit that to God. I mean, you're not going to surprise him. I promise you that. He's not going to be like, oh, wow, I didn't know you had done that. No, he knows. And then you just believe that, man, when Jesus came and died on the cross and then rose from the grave, that he did that for you to pay for your sin, to take your punishment so that he could have a relationship with you because he has a plan for you. And then you just call, just, man, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you make me new on the inside? You can do that right in the quietness of this room. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And I know there's a lot of you that at some point in your life, you've made that decision. You've made that decision. And and, and maybe it was when you were younger. Maybe it was just recently. But but here's what I I would guess you struggle with just like I struggle with. I would guess that you sometimes grapple with why your plan isn't playing out the way you think is best. Am I the only one? I would guess there's some of you that even even this week have, have grappled with some things where, man, you thought this way was best, but it seems like God's closing the door and God's, God's got a different direction and you're, it's hard for you to trust Him. And here's what my question is for you. Are you tied to your plan? Are you tied to your plan? And, and specific, let's not be real general. Let's, are you tied? Maybe it's for you, it's your parenting. Maybe for you, it's, man, you're, you're struggling with something in parenting, and man, you, you wish you could just fix this thing. And I know for me, I've had times, many times, where I just want to fix it. And I have to realize, God, your plan is bigger than mine. You love my kids more than I love my kids. Maybe it's something at work. 
Maybe it's something that, man, you, why, God, why are you putting this person in my life? This person is a pain. This person is making life tough. And God, I, it can't be your will for this person to be in my life. And God's saying, I, maybe I have a bigger plan. Maybe me making you more like Jesus is going to take you dealing with this person and developing some patience. Maybe he's got a different plan. Are you okay with that? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I trust you. Yeah, I don't always like the direction of your plan, but I, I know it's best. As we close, I want to ask you one question, and then I want to pray. I, I asked this question to some of our, our volunteers today, our bridge builders. Is Jesus is kind of working in our hearts. Hopefully he's working in your heart, whether you're a follower of Jesus or maybe you're somebody that's, you know, just investigating. You're kind of leaning into the church thing again. You've been burnt before and maybe you're watching online and, 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 and man, you, you've, you've felt God talking to you today. You felt something in your heart. You've, you've felt him poking at something. Here's my question for you. What if Jesus got his way in your heart today? What if you said yes to whatever he's saying to you in your heart today? What if you had the courage to just obey what he's saying? And maybe he's not saying anything. I don't want you to like make something up, but, but maybe he is. Maybe, maybe you, when I talk about struggling with your plan over God's, it's like you're like, man, yes, that's me. I, that's, that's why I worry so much. That's why I have anxiety. That's why I'm, you know, you fill in all the blanks of what happens when I, when I get too focused on my plan and I try to micromanage this thing instead of saying, God, your way is best. I trust you. What if Jesus got his way in your heart? What would happen today? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the story of your work throughout the last 2,000 years. And Lord, what started with you and your followers and you just trying to make so clear to them that a relationship with you was much better and your plan was much better than their plan. And God, I pray for us, whether we're watching online or we're here this morning, that we would just listen to you. If we're a follower of you, God, I pray that we would pinpoint in our heart those areas in our heart where we are holding too tight to our plan and that we would just release that and we would trust you. Lord, if, if we're here and maybe we're not a follower of you, I pray, God, that you would draw us to a relationship with you. And even in the quietness of this room, in the quietness of wherever anybody's watching this online, God, that you would draw people to admit to you that they've sinned, they've disobeyed you, and to believe that you died and rose from the grave, and then to call on you and ask you to save them. Lord, we know you have done that for the last 2,000 years. I pray that you would continue to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.